Inappropriate Earls, back, back in the house. We're back to our once-a-week schedule, and uh, I'm going to start off each uh, episode now with a review uh, on iTunes, which I've asked you Nimrods to do countless times. You know, uh, I do a lot of free work for you Goyams, and I ask you to go on iTunes and leave a 15-second review, hit the five stars, or, or one if you don't like it. And two people last week did it out of the 5,000 fans on Facebook, the 10,000 on Twitter, the 10,000 on Instagram. I mean, you people are unbelievable. Uh, I used to love Inappropriate Earl. He used to have really cool guests like Stephen Piercy from Rat. Now it's a bunch of unknown comics from Roast Battle. Unsubscribed. At least that guy left a review. So today I have a comic who ain't unknown. He's a what I like to call in the business a foot soldier. He's been hoofing it for, I'm going to guess, at least 25 years. He's one of the good ones. Tonight, January 15th, his new comedy album drops. I want you to all buy it, download it, stream it. We're going to get into how you get it, but you're probably going, Earl, we can't buy an album if we don't know whose it is. Well, listen up. Get the wax out of your ears, you two-faced bastards, and put your hands together for the legend of Jimmy Schubert. Hey, Earl, right? Thanks for having me on, man. What's up, brother? Uh, it's an honor to have you on because I've uh, uh, looking forward to it. I, you know, we we guys had to arrange our schedules and stuff because I am a, a foot soldier in the comedy army, bro, out there marching all over. The, if they speak English, I work there. Sometimes even if they don't speak English, I've I've done it. But yeah, I've been hoofing it and doing it for like. Uh, 29 years and, uh, you know, making my living doing it. So, yeah, it's good to be here. What keeps you inspired 29 years in to still want to produce product, make people laugh? Dude, I just love making people laugh. I love stand-up. I love the challenge of it. I love crafting it. I love coming up with a great uh, bit. You know, I work in a kind of a comedic short story form, so I love putting together the, and just and and just doing it. I mean, what's better than it? I mean, you know, in this day and age, in this culture we live in, uh, you know, people need to laugh more than ever now than anything. So, uh, so yeah, I just... Uh, you know, and that's the thing. I, you know, I keep in, I, it keeps me inspired. It keeps me uh, relevant. I, I like to. I, lo I love to write. You know, I do. I do a lot of different things. You know, you, I act. Uh, you know, I do a lot of. Uh, I just got past the Magic Castle just to perform there, doing the magic and stuff. I just, was a. I used to started doing magic when I was a kid, so that was kind of like a goal as an adult was to become a magician member of the Magic Castle. But yeah, I keep myself busy that way. I, I just, you know, I like that like a full schedule. You know. Well, you would think 29 years in, your days of auditioning and trying to get into places are over, and you're still... No, dude, believe it or not, there's still some clubs I've never worked. I haven't done the DC Improv. Uh, there's a lot of places that, uh, you know, I still haven't worked, but there's plenty of places that are constantly calling and, and, and having me come in, and sometimes for the first time. I mean, it's, it's amazing, you know... Uh, so, you know, and, that, and that's okay because, you know, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but that's fine. But, uh, you know, as far as people coming into a comedy club and seeing an hour of powerful stand-up, I mean, that's what I do. I mean, if you don't want that at your club, fine. <laughs> but, you know, that's what I do. I mean, it's a crazy, uh, I still 20 years in, I haven't figured out what clubs and theaters uh, look for. I mean, you're an incredibly established comic. Your acting resume is uh, better than 
99% of any other comic out there. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, well, you know, when I started too, there weren't as many people doing it now. I mean, there's a lot of people doing it. I mean, you know, the, the, it would be like if you took the NFL, which is like 32 teams, and then you made the NFL 64 teams, the amount of talent would get like, it would be like cut in half. So, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, you, you've been doing stand up 20 years, man. I've been doing it so long uh, that I, Honestly, don't remember when I started. Now, like, let me ask you a question. Do you do you get booked on the road? Do you do a lot of road stuff, or do you stay in town and work the comedy store mostly? Well, uh, now, uh, 20 years in, I finally have TV credits. Yeah. Which yeah. I've never had, Yeah, uh, to so, be honest. Well, well, that's what helps. I mean, you, you the TV credits help the personal appearance schedule and stuff like that, so it's great. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, sometimes I get so busy working the road, I got I to, gotta, like, you know, turn down dates just because it's I don't want to be out on the road that much, you know? I want to be in town a little bit, you know? Well, it's a... It's a Double-edged sword, I guess you'd call yeah, it. Yeah, that's exactly what you would call it. You know, you kind of your career goes where you put your priorities. You know, I mean, there are some people I know who love doing the road. They yeah. just love going to Holiday Inn and South Dakota. You know, mingling with the the locals, doing sold out. Well, shows. what I think happens is once you get outside of New York or L.A., which are fine because you can get away with stuff. You get away with stuff in New York and L.A. You can't get away with in the middle of the country. And so when you go out there and people pay twenty twenty five bucks for your stand up, they they want you to bring it. So I, I mean, and plus, it, it, you know, especially when I'm working on stuff, I get a better gauge when I'm in the middle of the country than when I do on the coast. You know. Well, but that's you mentioned doing an hour of stand up, and I don't. Think think a lot of comics really have that uh it's not just the physical act of standing up there for an hour you got to be fucking funny well you got to be funny you're you're i you know i like to have a, a themed hour or like a themed kind of a show and so it all kind of goes together whether it's uh and uh and yeah and they keep people's attention for an hour it's tough i mean you know in this culture with people with smartphones and people looking at their phones you got to keep people interested and you got to compete with the theater of real life and you got to be fucking funny i mean and 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 at the end of the day they they want to fucking laugh it's a comedy club but you know now we're up against you know you're competing against uh influencers people who uh do a lot of social media i mean a lot of those people are getting booked in comedy clubs now for whatever reason i don't fucking know i mean i guess you got to pay the fucking bills i get that business but you know the brand is comedy people got to want to come to a comedy club and they want to fucking laugh and it's getting tougher and tougher and it's getting more difficult with all the fucking snowflakes and people getting offended by shit it's like hey you know it's fucking comedy you know well i just sent out a tweet uh when i saw jeremy piven headlining somewhere and now i don't know him i'm sure he's a nice guy uh although one night at the comedy store he he saw a bunch of comics talking to me so i think he thought i was a uh uh, could be a mentor to him of sorts, right. and he's like, "Hey, bro, I, I've been doing this a few months now. I think I got it." And like, a few months, you yeah. don't got it, Holmes. Well, well, that's you know, that's kind of insulting, actually, to tell you the truth. It's, it's like you know, it, it takes most people seven to nine years to get defined. First off, to get comfortable enough on stage to find their voice, to be able to. Um, you know, make people laugh with, with your sense of humor and like, you, you know, and it's kind of insulting that you would fucking come and like, like jump in. Oh, anybody can do comedy. Are you fucking kidding me? This is like, you know, and that's what I love about people go, you know, it's really tough for women to do comedy. It's really tough on a, it, like, listen, it's the toughest thing you'll ever do. And I don't care if you have tits, if you have a dick, if you're black, yellow, it's a fucking tough way to make a fucking living. And even if you make it on the road, some people can't handle the road. 
believe me, I hear fucking tons of stories of uh, back in the day, guys hung himself in a fucking hotel room because he couldn't take the isolation. He because it definitely is a solitary existence. I don't know that it's lonely, but I would say it's solitary. You travel by yourself, you eat by yourself, you perform by yourself, you go back to your hotel room ninety nine percent of the time by yourself. I mean, you you get to learn to be your own best friend, and and it's a tough way to make a fucking living. Not only do, if you got good enough to be able to get paid to do it, and then you got to fucking do all that other stuff that goes with it. To me, you know, the stuff I do on stage, that's not the job. The job is traveling from point A to point B to get there to be able to entertain people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, the road, you know, I did it for four or five years with Rob Schneider opening up for him. And yeah. uh, and that was the good part of the road. Sold out shows every yeah. night. I mean, five years, he never didn't sell out one show. Yeah, well, that's amazing. And 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 what they do with a guy like that, like Rob Schneider, Sam Kinison did it for me, uh, had me go on the road and open for him. Uh, essentially, they give you their thumb, uh, their thumbs up, and and to their fan base. Yeah, they're telling their fan base, "Hey, this guy's funny enough. You should follow him. You should support him." And for guys coming up, it's it's an like you know, I I know a lot of guys th that have done that for for me and for other guys as well. Uh, I mean, you, you talk about a guy who supports comedians, uh, uh, Joe Rogan, you know, uh, supports guys amazingly, and and Bill Burr does it with uh, you know Jason Lawhead, and, and I know Sebastian does it with a lot of guys takes them on the road lets them open for them and and essentially they lend you their audience so it's you know that's cool it's part of the thing you know what i mean but but yeah a, a guy like piven you gotta figure it out you, you've been doing this four or five years before before you figure it figure it the fuck out you know but i don't think he all i gotta figure it out after a couple months bro well hey, all right good luck with that I was like, wow. Uh, but he'll headline over you and certainly me, and it's like well, he couldn't a, follow you. Because he's a draw. I kind of get that. Like, yeah. Well, uh, no, look, I get it too. But club owners got to put asses in the seats, man. I get it. Well, now, will the club owner be able to sit in, in the showroom and watch his act for more than 10 minutes? No. But who gives a shit, you know? Uh, the guys, the seats are filled, and, uh, you know, and, and so they, they get that money. So I, that's to totally business. I get it. But you're right. It's not balanced in any way, shape, or form. But I think that, you know, they can get the money once. But Yeah, know. essentially you're stepping over a dollar to pick up a penny. You'll get that dough one time, and people go, I'm never going back to see him again. You know, but that's fine, but, you know. But that hurts it for guys like you say, say you're there the next week no, after you, Piven you, you, or, you know, I, and I, once again, I'm a biggest prison break fan on earth, but now Michael Rappaport's doing comedy. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, it's funny. I, I drove Michael Rappaport to his first stand up gig. <laughs> this woman named Chrissy Francis had a room and it was down by the airport. And, uh, yeah, I ran into him to the improv the other night. I said, do you remember that? I drove you to your first stand-up gig. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And he was, blew me off. But I don't give a fuck. I mean, yeah, but everybody wants to do stand-up. But I think he started doing stand-up. So, But everybody goes back to it. I mean, you know, look at uh, Tim Allen. Look at uh, any of these guys. Drew Carey's back doing stand-up. I mean, I love doing stand-up comedy. Uh, you know, a lot of guys break and they go do other things and they come back to it. But, you know, sir, I got to tell you something. If I took a, like, if I took like a couple weeks off, maybe I took three weeks off from stand-up Again, dude, I don't think I'm, I'd be a little rusty. I mean, you know, when you do it all the time, your timing's impeccable. It's like, ding, 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 you know what I mean? I mean, for me, 
That's what I like. I, I just love doing it. I like doing it anywhere. I'll go out and do spots at any, you know, any club around LA. I don't, I don't care. I mean, I love doing the store. I love doing the old improv. Those are my two home clubs. Also, the Ice House is great. I started working the Laugh Factory now on a regular basis. So, I mean, it's all, it's all good. I mean, I, I, you know. I mean, I get a sexual high from stand-up. Like, and like, I'm not trying to be funny by saying that. I... No, well, most people don't get it. I mean, there's your euphoria that comes with it. Uh, you go up on stage, and you make a room full of people laugh, and not just laugh. I mean, they're laughing hard, and and it's because it's something you created in your head and something the way you're presenting it. I mean, that's look, that's only the toughest thing. I mean, you know, it's funny because you know, I just read something recently. People are more afraid of public speaking than they're almost afraid of anything: death, spiders, snakes, all that stuff. Public speaking, and and that is for me. That's where I'm most comfortable in my life is in front of people telling the fucking jokes, you know? Well, I so, think, uh, you know, people at their uh, water cooler, you know, they make their friends laugh and they think, oh, I can do stand-up. It's like, well, your friends know you, but try going to the comedy store after Jimmy Schuber just killed <laughs> for 15 minutes or Brian Holtzman or yeah. really anyone. I mean, yeah. the lineups, there are no bad comics no, at the store. No, there's no bad comics at the comedy store. I, and I'm so happy for the resurgence of the comedy store because, I mean, now... It is, it is it is really probably one of the most important clubs in, in America. I think it is. It's having a resurgence. And, I mean, you look at those lineups and go, holy shit. I mean, you're certainly not going on going. If you get stuck in the middle of those lines, you ain't going up there and doing new material. You're going up there with your A game constantly. I mean, I find myself doing a lot of the same jokes at the store because you got to know what works up there. Yeah. You can't, like Rogan said it, you just said it, like, you can't take a risk of doing a new joke after you just killed or, you know, I'm not following. No, but you know what the funny thing is? I, I go work. You know, it's funny. My process is like I go on the road and I'm, let's say, you know, I'm, let's say I'm in, you know, Cleveland. And what I do is I put my new material in me. I open strong and close strong, but I put my new stuff in between the act. And what I do is I, as I'm writing, I let the material take over the act from the inside to the ends and just do it that way. And I find I get a better gauge on whether the material is funny or not. But you're right. I mean, you know, when the thing's popping every night, you, you got to, you want to, nobody wants to go up and, you know. Oh, I'm so I've never been so scared to do stand up in my life. Uh, I mean, okay, I got news for you, bro. It's, it still scares the fuck out of me after fucking 29 years, 30 years. It just, it just, it just, you know, every, every you know, you just gotta, you know, and, and I think that's the thing that keeps you doing it. I, I don't think if you go on stage, you don't feel like you're risking anything. I think then, then, you know, then, then the party's over, you know? Well, the few times I haven't been nervous, I bombed. Yeah. Like, and that, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? I, I, I feel the same way. I always feel like I need to feel like I'm risking something to go up there. But uh yeah, it's uh but I mean, dude, what is what are the I mean, dude, I this job, this career has taken me all over the world. I mean, I've done shows in China, I was in Macau, Singapore, Shanghai, Beijing, uh Suzhou, Wuxi in China doing performing for expats. I've been to Ireland, I've been to Israel, I've been all through Europe, Germany, Kosovo, you know, doing shows for the military, all through this uh, the South Corridor, Honduras, Cuba. I mean, you you know, I went to Afghanistan, for God's sakes, with Drew Carey to entertain the troops, and we're going into a war zone. You had to wear a 40-pound Kevlar vest and a helmet, and you're dropping down an Alpha Clash uh, Chinook, uh, you know, a, a CH-47 helicopter <laughs> with the double propellers on it, and like, really, like 40 clicks from Pakistan at Camp, um, Camp 
uh, I think Camp Redisadabad, and you know, you're doing shows for these special forces dudes, bringing a little bit of America to them. To me, like, like that's like the best thing in the world. I, you know, for people who do like an incredible job, you go, this is great. You know, I, I, lo I love doing stuff like that. I love giving back. I, you know, I love being able to lend my stuff to like, you know, the TS Alliance and, and, and other things that, 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 you know, these charities that people need help with. So it's, it's, it's awesome, you know? Like, what's it feel like when you look out at a bunch of, you know, people in their early 20s, some even younger, literally risking their lives so we can do what we do? Like, when they, you must, when you see a, their smile, it must be, like, better than any dollar payment you could get. Dude, uh, you know, and you think, you know, you get more out of it than, than they do. I mean, they love it. I, I think but you're sitting there going, wow, these are incredible, incredible people. I mean, we were in, uh, we were in, um, yeah, third, uh, uh, the third show we did, a bunch of these guys had just come back from a firefight. And we were talking to these young soldiers and one kid was kind of smoking a cigarette and then they had a bandage on his chin and he just had this like, you know, thousand mile stare. And uh, he said, we were pinned down and these guys came over the ridge and there was about 30 or 40 fighters and these guys, and we were in trouble. And if these guys didn't come over the ridge and they were like, you know, they fired a rocket repel grenade at them. And then like 45 minutes later, just sitting in the front row at your show, and you're and they're laughing and you're going wow holy smokes i mean you know talk about something if you want to feel the power of what you do i mean it's a real gift and to be able to do it or, or just even in a club in, in in america and you're sitting there and somebody just lost a family member and they were they were at a funeral all day and they weren't going to come and they decided to come at the last minute and you were able to go on stage 45 minutes and for that 45 minutes you made these people laugh i mean you'd be able to touch their life and make them feel special i, I mean look i i don't ever underestimate what what you can do or what anybody in the audience is going through so uh when you, yeah and these young people People have no reference. They have no point of reference. They have no idea how fucking good they got it. But they sit there and stare at their fucking phones. They have no point of reference. They don't. I mean, they don't get your jokes because they're they're caught up in this little fucking bubble. And I, and I feel fucking sorry for that. Those people when they when they really kind of have to intermingle in the world. It's gonna be it's gonna be a little it's gonna be a little tougher for them. You know. Oh, they can. It's like when you go on a plane flight anywhere and the plane lands. It's like they're robots getting their cell phones out. Like, I've got to see what I didn't, you know, what I missed the last three hours being on this flight. Instagram, I got to check my Twitter, I got to check my Facebook, I got to see YouTube. Uh, I mean, it's... It's what, really quite ridiculous, isn't it? And, you know, people hashtag shit. They go, you're so brave to hashtag that. I go, hey, do me a fucking favor. You know, let me tell you something I did at, like, uh, the Laugh Factory. Uh, has been doing this thing for like uh, 49 years or 39 years where they feed the homeless. They do it on Thanksgiving. They do it on Christmas. And this year I, I wasn't doing anything on Christmas. So I went down there and volunteered. Tom Dreesen was there and Tiffany Haddish was there and, and a bunch of comedians that just gave away their day to sit there and go down and feed the homeless. And they brought about 1,500 people in there. They fed them turkey and and then they uh, they fed their bellies and then they fed their souls with some stand-up comedy. And I got to tell you, man, I felt so fucking good just to be able to do that. And that's the kind of stuff that makes the difference in the world. Not hashtagging something, not sitting in your sitting in your soul sucking job in your fucking cubicle and just fucking hashtagging shit or giving somebody a shitty fucking you. You want to make it? Go sit with some old people and fucking listen to their stories, or go to the hospital and read the sick kids who are who are not going to fucking be around long, and just try to bring a little bit of happiness to their lives. Do something that affects 
fucking human beings. This whole fucking thing, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, they're all fucking internet ghettos designed to eradicate original thought or ideas. And so you want to fucking make a difference in the world, go fucking touch another human being. And you can take all that shit. And I love it because I have a love-hate relationship with it. But you can stick it up your fucking ass because it's nothing but fucking hate. What am I going to say? People, go read your fucking, go read your fucking YouTube comments from some jit bubble sitting in his parents' basement rent-free playing PlayStation and drinking energy drinks and fucking eating Doritos and beating off till his dick's orange from all the Doritos dust and he doesn't even have his own Wi-Fi connection. He's surfing, he's surfing his neighbor's Wi-Fi internet connection for free so he could make a judgment call on my fucking life or something I've fucking created. <laughs> you just described me. <laughs> Sorry, man. Sorry, bro. Uh, but you know, it's it's funny though. Like you need that. Like this podcast in an hour. I'm going to go online after it's uploaded. I'm going to Twitter. I'm going to go on Facebook, Instagram. Please, Jimmy Schubert. It's going to do album coming. I mean, like it's a different. Uh, it's a, not an album. It's a it's a special. It's an hour special. It's on Vimeo on demand. It's called Zero Tolerance because, as you can tell from this conversation, I have zero tolerance for fucking idiots. But like, I'm going to have to use the internet to promote it, and yeah, and I, you as well, as I do as well. So yes, for those reasons and those things, and and it took me a minute to kind of get my footing on it. But uh, all I do is I just do positive fucking posts, man. I would describe myself as belligerently optimistic and you can spew all the fucking hate you want to, but I ain't giving you a fucking time of day. I'm promoting myself. I'm promoting my friends. I'm promoting fucking positive shit in this fucking world. Now you can sit there and fucking hate all you fucking want, but I'm not giving you a second of my fucking thoughts or my energy. You know, I don't give a fuck. I, I choose to live my life the way I do, but you're right. We do. We got to use the internet to promote it. But, you know, I produced this fucking thing from fucking top to bottom. I had some help with some friends of mine, but I'm really proud of this special. I worked my ass off on it for about a year and a half to get the hour so fucking tight and funny because I don't know about you, world, but I mean, you could go to Netflix and watch specials. I can't even get through fucking half the specials on fucking on, on Netflix or any of these other places. And I don't want to. I don't want to badmouth anybody. But it's just. Well, I will. Know, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that to you. But I mean, the thing is, it's like you know, uh, you know, I wanted to put out something that I, that, I, that 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 I was proud to put my name on, and that people uh, would be glad they spent their money on so it's kind of and i'm an old school guy i'm kind of an og like you know what stand up was like bing 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 bing. you know i don't tell a 15 minute story with one punchline i'm coming at you beginning to end as soon as it starts it's fucking ging 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 just you know the old school style <laughs> i mean when you first started you didn't have- when i first started earl we didn't have set up some punchlines like these kids had today we had to jump in the audience and tickle people well, I mean, <laughs> you had to follow, like, you know, Dude, Sam Kennison, Bill Hicks. Uh, I Arsenio mean, Hall, fucking, you know, I mean, fucking Gary Shandling. I mean, you know, guy Louis Anderson. Oh, I mean, fucking name it. It was like a who's who. You like, didn't, like, I, I think kids today who, the younger people who do stand-up, oh, they're following Instagram models with a million followers who, you know, that's a little yeah, rough. Yeah, dude, I was more concerned with, and that's why I came to Los Angeles because this is what I wanted to do with my life. And, and I wanted to trade punchlines with the best guys in the country. And I wanted to compete with them. I wanted to be in that, in the upper echelons of this. And it, it was a long journey, believe me. 
Uh, and so I, I'm glad that, you know, after all this time, it's like, you know, and then you worry about, you know, well, how come I don't know you? Well, I don't know how you don't know me. I've been doing it for fucking 30 fucking years. And, and part of the thing is like, you know, part of it's like, hey, it's great to be successful and be able to make a living doing something you love to do. And then you get famous and then they fucking Louis C.K. or they fucking Roseanne Barry and they fucking, they fucking, they love building you up. The Germans have a word for it. It's called Schadenfreude and they fucking tear you down. They did it with Tiger Woods. They do it with a lot of people. When you reach that pinnacle of fame, people fucking love tearing you down. They love ripping you down. You know, so on one hand, it's great to not be famous where people can fucking destroy you over a bad tweet or a bad joke or a fucking, you know, guy does two sold out shows at the Beacon. You expect to go home and jerk off by himself. I mean, come on. I mean, uh, <laughs> but you're right, though. I mean, one tweet, one Facebook post about a you can't even be fucking human anymore. You can't make a fucking mistake, girl. That's what it is. It comes down to like, we, you know, we, we've kind of like lost our ability to be human beings. You go, hey, I made a mistake. Uh, please forgive me. I'm moving on. I won't do it again. I mean, look at what that fucking Roseanne tweet did. Now, I can't defend the tweet. I'm not saying, uh, I will say it was a dumb joke in my head. I kind of understood what she was doing. It's like so-and-so and so-and-so had a baby. Okay, bad fucking references. Uh, but at the same time, I also, she said she was on Ambien. I know people have taken Ambien. They woke up in the middle of the night, cooked fucking dinner, don't remember it. I know a fucking, uh, the waitress in Chicago was telling she took Ambien and she was drinking. She got up in the middle of the night, painted her fucking apartment, got up the next morning and doesn't fucking remember it. I mean, she painted like, you know, but I, I mean, so. And then you fire her from a fucking show. With her name on it. With her name on it. And they already had 20 million sold for season two. They had 80 million in advertising revenue sold for the fucking old Roseanne show. So you cost the company a hundred million fucking dollars. What I was done is Roseanne, get your checkbook out. You're going to write a couple checks here to NAACP. You're going to apologize. You're going to an apology tour. And then we're going to start and you're not fucking tweeting. And, and, but that woman just got fired from ABC, by the way, she fucking lost her fucking job. That, that president of ABC got fired. And so, you know, karmically, how do you fucking like it? You lost your fucking job and you turn the company into. So I think, uh, you know, you cost the company a hundred million fucking dollars. You didn't let her apologize. You didn't let her fucking write a couple checks and help some people out, which is what you should have fucking done. You well, know? you know, it, it, I think with racial, uh, racially themed uh, tweets and posts, it's just like, it's almost unrecoverable. Well, uh, well, well then if the word, well, I mean, she made a fucking joke and it wasn't, you know, oh, I get what she was trying to do. You, you yeah, know, I get but, told. But let, let me say, say, okay, so let's say, you know, and this is just my thing. If that word is so fucking offensive, then let's eradicate it from the vocabulary. Let's take it out of rap songs. Let's take it out of fucking everything. Let's get rid of the fucking word altogether. If it's so fucking offensive, because you're telling me one group or another owns the right to use the word, and nobody likes to be called that fucking word. It's oh. fucking a horrible fucking word. Let's eradicate it from the English fucking language. Well, uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's the worst. I mean, we're tearing down fucking statues of Confederate fucking soldiers. They want to erase that fucking history. Let's get rid of the fucking word. What am I supposed to do? Stop watching the Dukes of Hazard? 
Well, dude, I, I it mean, was on the car, the Confederate flag. Yeah, okay, but I think people overreact to these fucking things. I think that there, there's a way to fucking handle it that that's smart, that's uh, that's acceptable. But people want fucking heads; they want heads to roll, and uh, and you know because they enjoy watching somebody like Louis C.K. Uh, you know, and from what I've heard, and I've just heard this, and to Louis C.K., the guy had a picture of those girls with their tops off, but he never released it. I mean, do you think the guy was just sitting there jerking off while they were fully clothed? Yeah. No, I don't think that happened. doesn't make sense to me. And they were free to leave at any fucking time. He wasn't holding a fucking gun to their head. You know, I think they enjoyed fucking ruining his career. Someone told me they there were friends of those girls. They called, and they were bragging about it after they did that interview to ruin a man's fucking livelihood. And look, I, should he have done it? No, I'm not defending it. But give the guy a chance to apologize and maybe fucking help and donate money to some fucking women's shelters. I mean, you got to fucking ruin someone's fucking life well i think that the, the problem i had with him was his apology wasn't I, I don't know if he wrote it or his publicist or whoever manager it just seemed like he was making himself to be the victim uh i think you're right if he would have worded the apology a, a little like hey I, I shouldn't have done it I, I, and i'm going to donate some money to some help uh, so, some to some women's shelters what i did was wrong and I and I had people that that uh, that made me uh, that, that covered for me and allowed me to do this. And I really apologize to all the victims. I was I was wrong. Now is he now is he Harvey Weinstein or is he Bill uh -oh. Cosby? Fuck no. But he got. But you know, I mean, he's no R. Kelly. Well, yeah. I mean, again, so. So you're going to put these things in perspective and, and, and you know, we're going to fucking, we're all human beings. None of them, none of you fucking people out there are, are fucking perfect. I mean, you like to sit there and fucking project your bullshit onto fucking other people. You're not fucking perfect. Nobody's fucking perfect. We're fallible. We're human beings. We make mistakes. We fuck up. And you're telling me we live in a world where you can't even make a fucking mistake as a human being now? I mean, come on, bro. That's, I, I mean, it's and 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 I'm just lucky enough. I got into a point in my life where I just don't give a fuck what most people think. I'm not doing this for you. You can say all the fucking hateful shit you want on Twitter, or if I don't, I don't give a fuck. Your vote doesn't count in my election. Well, I mean, I'm the same way. I don't know if it's when you get older, you just stop caring a little bit more, or you just. Well, no, you get older, you get smarter, and I and I think you get a little humbler, and you you fucking get in touch with your with your human side, your humanity, you know. Because, dude, I get up every day. I thank God for every opportunity I had. A lot of people helped me along the way. I've had a lot of great fucking breaks in my life, and I and I got nothing but gratitude in my life, and I got nothing but uh, you, you know, I, how can I help my friends? How can I help myself? How can I do something that makes a fucking difference in the world? Something that really makes a difference. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, this is just this is just the shit i figured out man I, I i look i'm grateful i have gratitude in my heart every fucking day and uh, and and uh and so uh but but you're right we live in a it's getting weirder and weirder and weirder we're not progressing we're actually regressing we're regressing you know we're, we're, we're going backwards we're not going forwards and it's a it's a little fucking scary and you know and people always on the smartphones you got all that artificial intelligence and i go what at the end of the day what if at the end of the day artificial intelligence was training us to work for it i mean if you think about that for a minute because you're telling me the same people who designed this fucking 
fucking technology are the same people putting the fucking Kardashians on the air? You're talking about the same fucking people that, 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 that this is all reverse engineered off that fucking spacecraft that crashed in Roswell in 1947. We're not supposed to fucking have this shit. I mean, we can't even get along with each other, let alone fucking, you know, you know, fucking save the whales. You can't even save your fucking selves. It's fucking sad. I mean, I, that's why, I, you know, that's just my thing. But, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to dominate the conversation. No, you, I, I don't want to talk. This is about you. <laughs> Because you've like you've seen thirty years of stand up, like you know you've seen you know back in the early days of stand up, you had to be fucking funny, dude. Like, there I, was no Facebook, Instagram. You have a comedy album come out in eighty seven. You couldn't send out a tweet, but go to Vimo, yeah. Vimeo, go go to Hulu or Amazon or Netflix or you know just to get on television. You had to be one of the greats. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, to me, the comedy store, which I love, I can't uh, express how much I love that place and how much I love Mitchie Shore, who gave me the opportunity there. Uh, I'm just glad that it, it's thriving again. But that was like my college. For me, I came out here when I was like 19 years old, and uh, I sat there in the back door, and I watched the greatest comedians in the fucking world, and I learned from I learned from a lot of the bad comedians, too. I learned what not to do. I learned what you should do. Uh, I got to tour with one of the most controversial comedians in America at the time with who was hanging out with friggin' Guns N' Roses and all those lunatics with the fucking, the, you know, and it was a different time period, and I'm glad there was no social media. Earl, I'll tell you, because I hear these people bitching about, you know, we got to get rid of plastic straws because they get stuck in turtles' noses. I go, listen, I had a plastic straw stuck in my nose for about 10 years. I didn't turn out too bad. You know what I'm saying? Well, just, I mean, <laughs> to watch the Wild Thing video with Sam Kennison. Yeah. And you you saw everyone in that video were his friends. So you had Stephen Piercy and D. Martini from Rat. You from had Sarzo. Uh, from White Slash. Slash. <laughs> a C prime C slash. Yeah, CC DeVille, bro. I mean, it was it was like a who's a, that was a 16-hour shoot. And you're hanging out. And all those tour buses were parked outside the thing. And these guys were hanging out. And I had some of the coolest, like hanging out, some of those coolest moments in like at the comedy, like these guys would all come into the comedy store on a Monday night and they would all be sitting there like, you know, like Sam, even before he was famous, had this draw, all these rock stars, and all these famous dudes. And you would be hanging out with them, man. It was amazing. You know, freaking, I remember Phil Collins and Eric Clapton stopped by one night or Penny Marshall. I think uh, uh, Sam, uh, you know, God rest her soul. But I think Sam and her had a thing one night and she sent him out the back door after he snorted a line of blow off her boob. I think a lot of people had things back in the day at the store. Well, it was a different fucking time. But explain because I try and tell people, you know, the comedy store is amazing right now. I mean, tonight is a perfect example of uh, there's a Kill Tony sold out show in the main room. Room, the OR is going to be sold out. The, the Ding Dong show and whatever shows on before that sold out. I mean, yeah, uh, it's unbelievable that you know a couple of years ago the comedy store was not sold out in any room on a Monday. No, I night. was there. They had a couple of lean years there for a while, and I was worried about the place. I go, God, that was horrible. I, was, I hope some you know uh, hotel chain doesn't buy this place and just offer them ridiculous amounts of money for their real estate because I'm telling you, it's you know it was close to that. 
when I started there with Marin, me and Marin were fucking doormen there. I have so much history there and so many great memories and moments meeting Richard Pryor and having a fucking great conversation with Pryor and, and just Mitzi back in the day before she got sick was so the stories and the laughs we had and Paulie Shore. I drove Paulie to his first stand-up gig. You know, me and Noodles Levenstein picked him up and we went to uh, Monty Steakhouse in Westwood. Oh my God, yeah, really? Yeah, and, and, and there's a place called the Alley Cat Beach in Culver City and then right next door to the comedy store was a silver screen jazz room in the Hyatt was it was a that hotel was originally a Hyatt and so literally on a Monday night you could start at the natural fudge Monty Steakhouse alley cat but you could do five sets on a Monday night like a fucking like a just a monster man and I remember the first after you kept like that's all I gave a fuck I le- lived breathed ate slept stand up I mean I just I was constantly writing constantly working I didn't care about anything else I wanted to be as good as everybody else there I mean it's all I cared about it's all like I didn't care about being in a relationship I didn't care about having a family I didn't care about any of that shit I worked my day job so I could pay my bills so at night I would go out until about two o'clock in the morning I'd get up at seven o'clock in the morning go to work at the law firm Manette, Phelps, Rothenberg, Tunney, and Phillips. I'd deliver their mail, and I'd freaking go back. As soon as I was out to work, boom. I was renting a room in a house. It wasn't even, it was from this lady named Mensa. This woman was a member of Mensa. She would have Mensa meetings. I was like, yep. I'd stop in, shower, boom, sleep and shower, out the door. I was going all the time doing stand-up comedy. I didn't care about anything else. What was it like opening up for Kennison in his prime? Dude, amazing. I mean, you know, you're doing two sold-out shows at the Fox Theater in Detroit. 5,000 sold out. 5,000 sold out. You're on a tour bus with fucking Sam Kennison, the most fucking hilarious controversial comedian in america at the time you know uh, uh, you know with and, and uh, carl lebeau and alan stevens and mitch walters also three of the funniest fucking dudes i was like this fucking young guy i got to fucking study from these masters of stand-up because at the time those guys have probably been all been doing fucking stand-up like you know 20 fucking years and i was just this kind of neophyte this young kid and i just absorbed it all like a sponge and i learned what not to do as well as I learned what to do. I mean, there was, dude, there was like, you know, we were in Vegas for like two weeks. And I mean, I remember there was a lot of sleep to be had. We were at Olympic Gardens every night. It was crazy. I mean, what's that? What's Olympic Gardens? <laughs> you never been there? Oh, it's a strip club. You know, I, dude, I, I've been to more strip clubs with those lunatics. And Sam would like, we had a big girl, a big owls in uh, Peoria, Illinois. I mean, you know, uh, it was great, dude. It was really great. It was. I felt like I was a member of a rock band, and you're on this tour bus, and you're traveling the country, and you're staying in the best hotels, and you're doing media. Like I, what I love, like Sam would get up, and he, if we were sold out, there was no, you didn't have to do media. But if he wasn't, you had to go sell the rest of the tickets, and so we would get up and do radio, and you do Bob and Tom, and you do uh, Brother Wheeze, you do all these right guys who I still am friends with to this day, and that's thirty fucking years ago. I mean, shoot, I mean that was. Um, and I learned how to do radio by watching Sam do radio, and I learned how to sell tickets using the radio because I watched Sam do it. I mean, all these fucking moments, dude. I hung out and had dinner with fucking Sylvester Stallone. I mean, literally, it was Sylvester Stallone sit across from me. Sam Kinison was sitting here, and we're at this Chinese restaurant in Point Doom. I'm just having a kind of like all these fucking cool, amazing moments backstage at Bally's in Vegas with fucking David Lee Roth and me and Sam after I walked off. And David Lee Roth, oh man, you were funny, man. You were fucking funny, dude. We were sitting in the back of a limo. <laughs> this is a great story. We were fucking at the, we were at the rainbow. Uh, and, 
you know, we've been going at like AA and trying to clean up the act. And then uh, we fucking see Ozzy come fucking staggering and he's fucking hammered and he's got this dog fucking suicide on and he like sits down and the next thing you know bro we're back in the bathroom we're all doing bumps we're at AA meeting that morning and now we're doing bumps I think Ozzy was Sam's sponsor at AA and now we're in the back of this limo and it's Sam and Ozzy sitting in the back I'm off on the side chair and this blow dealer gets in the car he's got a little baggie I guess for everybody because we're going to Ozzy's apartment and uh, and the guy gets in the car and goes you believe in evil do you believe in the power of the dark forces? Do you believe in that? And the guy's just fucking getting freaked. I go, no, I, I, try, I try to stay positive. I try to just believe in fucking, you know, good stuff, happy stuff. And I was just, that's a shame because you're going to have a series of very bad dreams for the next few nights. And I go, apparently Satan can't control his drinking and drug problem, but he's going to curse your life, you know. But this guy get out of the limousine. So freaked the fuck out. And I was fucking dying. I mean, you know, crazy moments like that. And there were a lot of them. I mean, it was it was amazing. It was, do I regret any of it? Fuck no. I had a blast. Uh, but also I, I don't fucking do it anymore, nor would I ever do it. I mean, I it was it was a five or six year fucking run. I retired the fucking straw. Actually, it was a you know, I was just like, uh, you know, and I, and I don't recommend it for anybody, but, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, I had a lot of fucking fun, bro. Uh, am I, am I glad, you know, would I do it again differently? Yeah, probably I might do a couple things differently if I, if I had to do it over again, but I, uh, like what I, I probably wouldn't, I, I mean, I probably, I probably would, wouldn't party as much. I, I probably would have just kind of like dialed it back a couple notches and just been able to like, but it was impossible to leave. I mean, you're in Vegas. There's fucking all these fucking rock stars hanging out. There's probably 15 fucking strippers hanging out. There's all these fucking comedians hanging out. And there's fucking like, you know, a bat, like there's a fucking mirror with giant, I mean, a mound of freaking blow on it. And you're trying to get out of there and Sam's standing in front of the door playing party goalie. Nobody leaves. Nobody leaves. Well, party goalie. So you just fucking hung out and fucking, and, and, you know, but I look at it now and you go, you could never, ever fucking do that now. You could just never do it now. I mean, the social media, number one, but also, I mean, you know, show business is a, is a full-time job now. I mean, you got to put your eight hours in every fucking day, just like everybody else. You got to, you know, so, uh, was it fun? Fuck yeah. But I mean, it, it wouldn't work by today's standards, but certainly back in the day. It was a fucking blast. Oh, well, I don't, you know, you try and explain it to people like what the Sunset Strip was like, where you could literally go see uh, Guns N' Roses or Rat. Oh, yeah. Molly Crew. Go Go, the fucking, the, 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 the Rocks, Gazaris. I'm Ben, Ben Gazari and, and Art LeBeau. And all those guys from the fucking Rainbow Sam knew all those guys. They would all come out. They would all hang out. Ron Jeremy. I mean, it was literally, dude. It was like, it, like we, I was, you're right. It was fucking the Sunset Strip. And I was fucking balls deep in it, man. I mean, dude, this is a fucking true story. We were trying to behave ourselves. We stopped in the fucking Rainbow because of the great chicken soup. And I love their fucking pizzas. So we're sitting there. And then, you know, we go out. And I'm driving the car. It was me, Sam, and another dude. And uh, we're driving down Sunset. And literally, Sam was staying like a, a like a like a Sunset Plaza across. Was I had a, like a little joint up there? And literally, dude, that's not even a mile. Uh, maybe maybe not even a mile. And we get in the car and we pull to a light. And this dude named Art pulls up next to us in the light in his limo. 
And he goes, and Sam goes, you got any shit, bro? And he goes, yeah, man, I got some shit. And dude, after, <laughs> we're literally driving down Sunset at 35 miles an hour. And I got to drive my car. And this dude's got his limo. And we get close enough so the limo driver can hand the bag out the window to Sam. And then fucking, we scored, <laughs> we scored blow in the drive from Rainbow, uh, to Sam's place across from Sunset Plaza. Do the drive, bro. I may not even be half a mile. Like you're trying, like that's how fucking nuts it was back in the day, you know? Yeah, you just can't explain it to people. You were it was it was insane. But I mean, I, I mean, lit- I was driving. We were driving. We literally were at the light. He asked them the light turned green, and he's digging in his pocket to get it while he's driving. And I'm trying to get close enough so Sam can reach out the window and grab it. He's trying to get close enough to pass it off. I mean, it was it was insane. I, I mean, I'm glad I survived it. I believe me. Uh, I get up every day and I thank God. I mean, I would not do that shit today. And uh, but man. It was fun at the time. Well, it was just a magical time because you had two uh, forms of the entertainment world blowing up at the same time with stand-up comedy and 80s metal. Which, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely, dude. And, and you know, because, you know, most of those guys are frustrated comedians. Those guys, All those fucking singers. Oh, yeah. They're all frustrated comedians. And comedians are, like, probably frustrated musicians. I mean, Sam could play the piano. He could sing. He could play guitar. Dude, there was a place called the China Club. I don't remember. You remember when the China Club opened out here? Yeah. Dude, Harvey Hancock, uh, Sting, John Goodman was there. Uh, Sting the wrestler or the bass player? No, the bass player. There are two. A little Steven. Uh, Stevie Van Zandt. Stevie Van Zandt. Uh, they were all on stage, and John Goodman and Sam got up on stage and played. Sam had this fucking, uh, he had this fin. It was like the fin of a 57 Bel Air, and when he fucking hit the Bawa bar, the, the brake light on it would light up, and they and John Goodman went up and sang with these guys. Like, fucking an all-star, like, unbelievable, and they called them the Johnny B. Goodmans, and they went up on one night, and <laughs> it was fucking, <coughs> it was crazy, but it was also uh, fun as fucking hell, dude. I mean, you know, Katie Seagal from Married with Children was hanging out. I mean, a lot of like you just you know this celebrities and stuff. And you were you were you know you were right there. It was you know it was it was cool, uh, but at the same time, I realized you know it wasn't like you know I had to get I had you still couldn't drop the ball in your stand up. You still had to be right in your stand up and and being good enough to hang out. And the cool thing, a lot of these people got to saw me because I was opening for Sam Julian Lennon came up to me and I did it. I was doing a joke, a John Lennon reference in my act. It's like, you know, and watch this do what John Lennon said, give peace a chance or something, you know? And, and, and he came up to me and he goes, man, I love you. I love you. Stand up, man. It was very nice. He, like, I forgot that I made a John Lennon reference about his dad. And I think he really kind of digged that. Cause it was like, you know, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, an insane time. Uh, and, and of course after Sam died in 92, uh, you know, it was up to me again. I had to leave L.A. because I couldn't do stand-up because it was just so sad. I mean, Sam uh, not only was a mentor to me, but he was also, a, a, like, really one of my one of my, my best friends. He put a lot of cool moments in my life. I loved the fucking dude to death. I, I've never had to defend a dead friend of mine more than I've had to defend that guy. But uh, I left again in 92 when I went to Florida for a couple of years, and I really started to get back to my roots and my stand-up and why I initially started to do it. I really kind of really found my voice because after, you know, five or six years touring with Sam, I probably knew him for nine years, you know, four years before that. So it was really like, uh, you know, um, 
it was good. I was able to do that. I was able to get back to the roots and grassroots and, and kind of, you know. And next. that's. Yeah. And that's where we are now. Your new comedy album out tonight. Now, my comedy special. It's an hour long special. Special. It's on Vimeo on demand. Zero tolerance. Uh, zero tolerance. And so, what, how do people get? Because a lot of people don't understand Vimeo. Like, well, here's what you do. How do you get it? Here's what you do, bro. You go to my website. Go to jimmyshubert.com, and Schubert is S H U B E R T. It's I made it super fucking easy for people. You just click the button. It'll fucking take you to Vimeo. You pay the three ninety nine to rent it. You can stream it, or you can own it for nine ninety nine. It's super fucking easy. It's set up, and 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 you don't even gotta. You just watch it on Vimeo, which would be like watch like you know I watch like iTunes, and you rent a movie on iTunes. Same thing. Put it on your freaking TV and get ready to laugh your fucking ass off. It's an old school hour of hilarious fucking stand-up setups, punchlines, callbacks. What are those? Yeah. Uh, you know, and and uh, and I'm really proud of it. I put a lot of work into it. And I think that, uh, you know, people really enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, it's, I've made it super easy for people. And I know because Vimeo is not like YouTube or whatever, but it's the same concept. And Vimeo is actually coming along. But you know, I, I love I love the split that Vimeo does. And when we're not on the air, I'll tell you what that is. But also, I love the fact that uh, you know comedians can self release their specials now. I think that puts the power back in the artist's uh, court again. That that you can own your material, you know, uh, and. Uh, so that's the cool thing about it. And uh, I got a lot of big stuff coming up. People can follow me on social media. It's at Jimmy Schubert on Instagram, at Jimmy Schubert on Twitter. And uh, there'll be big announcements coming in the next uh, couple of weeks here. And I'm super excited for the release of this thing. I think people are really going to enjoy it, you know. No, since you gave all your plugs, that's the point where I'm going to cut the Facebook live feed off. Oh, there you go. If you want to listen to the rest, we're going to talk for a few more minutes. It's just about life in general with two foot soldiers me and jimmy are like rambo in the hardware store <laughs> it's over johnny it's nothing it's over that's your first blood not me and me and my boy was in the saigon in the bar and the guy because he's shine shine in the fucking boxes why he's all fucking up he said johnny take me home take me home i said i would but i can't find your fucking legs delmore lost his mind and nom didn't even know it stand up ate him to the bone Jimmy Schubert, go on his website, watch his special, just download the whole thing so you can fucking own it. Nine bucks, nine ninety nine. You'll pay hundred and fifty dollars to watch Ariana Grande uh, lip sync and her gay brother dancing around behind her. <laughs> I mean, really, just support Jimmy Schubert. You talk about there are not many people who've done stand up longer than me. Yeah, Jimmy's one of them. Toured with Sam Kinison. Listen to the rest on iTunes. Leave a review, you ungrateful bastards. So we've been talking about promoting things. If you had a comedy special album, whatever you want to call it, 30 years ago, you had to rely on management agencies. Uh, now it's never been easier to do it on your own, but... That's the good side. The bad side is there's a lot of unfunny people who can put out their albums. Well, that's true. And that's not the case with this special. But, no, no, I meant but, like... But I know, but you're right. But here's what the other thing it's done. It's really kind of taken the power out of the manager and agent's hands and all these middle people. 
You know, I've talked to several friends of mine. I got my friend, my one, my, my one friend, he he produces two of the biggest uh, shows on network television. But nobody's really watching television anymore. So these guys are trying to create something. It's all happening in people's smartphones and cell phones and stuff like that. So it really gives you a, a direct access to your audience and your fan base, which is, uh, you know, cooler than... Uh, that's the cool side of social media you know yeah, right i mean it's it's a weird thing like even podcasts it's the same thing like uh i mean my setup is a little more elaborate uh but really all you need to do a podcast is an h4n recorder and two mics yeah well you know what else you need earl you need content you know so and like you said like there's a lot of people doing comedy specials shouldn't be doing there's a lot of people doing podcasts that that, that you know that shouldn't and it, yeah so it's just it really kind of muddies up the waters you know all you need are you know two two mics and, a, and an h4n recorder i shouldn't say all this stuff but I, i'm a giver you can go on amazon and buy <laughs> a used one for yeah, two hundred dollars yeah, yeah and the funny thing is is like people think it's easy and i go you know it's a lot of work people i don't think i mean people just sit there and listen to them and they think it's easy it's a lot of work man well that's why i beg in all seriousness uh, you know i beg people just leave a review it helps with itunes you know it's all algorithms it's yeah it's who, it, it is it really is it's, I, it's not all algorithms well, you, like, you need help on the other side you need people listening and commenting and getting involved and you need you know you need people that actually give a damn about the stuff you're talking about you know well yeah and it's like it's hard to get people to come to your house like you were not today you this podcast actually cost you money because you had to uber over here and uber back you know yeah well i'm not worried about that bro but i'm just saying it was but like, it's it's uh, you didn't have to no but i wanted to because uh, you know we've been talking about it for a little while now and uh, you know i've been watching you I, you know i follow you online i watch your stuff i love how you go after hey attention la comics okay i keep it too real no i know it's so funny but it's but it's it, but it's fun man i i, I love <laughs> i love it well i've been uh, i've had uh three comedy central executives call me in the last month and go hey uh can you tone it down a bit? You know, you're going a little off the rails. Why? Well, uh, you know, I I don't have a manager or an agent, so I have to... Uh, I think that the best part about having a manager or an agent is they can be the bad guy. Yeah. Well, or they, girl. They, they can rein you in. They can also let you go wild. They can also tell you, you know, I mean, really, it's, it's funny because we were talking about this. Like back in the old days, a manager would really kind of groom an artist. They would groom you a little bit, go, that's great. A little less of that, a little more of that. They would kind of groom you. Now managers just throw fucking, they sign 20 clients, throw it all against the wall, see what sticks. And, you know, and there's no grooming and there's no, and, and the problem is that, that there's, I don't think that they've lost a lot of their relevancy because, because most people are going right to the people masses anyway if look it's like network executives they go, well here's what you think this will go and they go no it's not up to you it's up to the people who watch it whether it's a hit or not you don't know i mean you know some people are good at it but most people don't know what the fuck they were they're talking about and if they did they'd be making a million dollars doing it so you're better off kind of like you know i'd rather fail doing exactly what i want it than fail doing something i fucking hate it you know what i mean oh absolutely uh, so so yeah so people go raining in a little bit what, what in regard to what well i just you know i i might have been a little aggressive in some of my tweets uh, about uh roast battle and and my experiences uh, but i don't uh take back anything i said because i never uh, spoke badly about the network or anyone on the show i never said this person sucks or this show i just watch it but you, you know you have a bad experience you have to talk about it at least i do which is the benefit of this podcast I yeah can, 
you know, no one is in control of what I say or do. And well, you know, but you, you don't know, want to burn bridges either. No, no, you don't want to burn bridges, and you don't want to be Roseanne Barr either. You know, I mean, you know, there, there's consequences for your actions. That's why, like, you know, sometimes, dude, I, I tweet some stuff, and if I think it's going to be controversial, I save it. I don't tweet it and let until the, the thing, and then I'll go in and delete it or whatever. Because I don't want to look. It's you know, the problem with that stuff is there's no sarcasm font. There's no. There's no thing that people would fucking go oh you know well uh, scroll down on that page by the way i'm on jimmy's you know i'm a one-man operation here so to make this interview as good as possible i'm currently in full disclosure since this is uh audio only i'm on jimmy's website right now while he's talking i'm also taking a few pictures i I, I don't have producers i'm a one-man unit nothing it's over that's funny He's a one-man unit, ladies and gentlemen. He needs a couple of... You need- I need a Colonel Troutman to help guide me through the <laughs> bullshit. Uh, be, it was more like bringing the enemy to you. More like bring, bringing the, the canary to the cat. Well, I mean, I really do... Uh, you know, who I relate to in the world of stand-up, you'd think 20 years in, I, I would relate to Stephen Wright or Robert Schimmel because I'm a similar style in there. The, the two people I relate to the most are Rambo in the hardware store and the Indian from Predator, who always knew that something was out there trying to fucking kill him. That's so funny. Those are you two uh, spirit animals? Yeah, and Bill Paxton in Aliens, too, who was always paranoid. But no, they're I, out there, man. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, those are great references, man. And they're great movies, too. Oh, I, I don't, don't want to make movies like that anymore, man. Well, you can't. I mean, uh, I grew up on Dean Martin Roast. Dude, I you love couldn't those do those, dude. Now. I, dude, I go back and what? Well, you know the th- funny thing is, dude, dude uh, you, <laughs> Foster Brooks. Oh, I the go, king. I, dude, I love those. I love those roasts, man. I mean, to me, like I was watching Ronnie Dangerfield on the Tonight Show like a couple days ago, just laughing my ass off and going, you know, you even he could he couldn't do those fucking jokes today. People go, he's fat shaming people. He's fat shaming people. So. I mean, Foster, I always, and the Comedy Central roaster, great. Uh, you know, Greg Giraldo was, I thought, as close as you could get to the old days. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I love Greg Giraldo. God rest his soul. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but it, well, it was truly, truly a fucking great roasters, but also a brilliant fucking stand-up comedy. And they were friends. Like, you could tell, like, I always point people, if you could watch one roast set, of the comedy central roast the dean martin roast foster brooks on don rickles yeah it's only five minutes and i think younger people might be like well this isn't really that funny there's no but but that also it's perfect it's a perfect five minute roast him uh him roasting lucille ball is hilarious as well and sammy davis the things he was the things don rickles was saying to sammy davis you couldn't say you couldn't say today but they were like you know the funny thing is but people don't realize the history there it's like when the rat pack was touring and they would go out on the road they would make and it was a different time in america they uh sammy davis jr they would say you can't stay at the hotel and they go then we're not coming I mean, they stood up for this guy and defended this guy, and they loved this guy, and he was on all the shows. I mean, you know, the, and the deal with the Rat Pack is, is like, you know, Dean Martin was as cool as could be. In fact, Frank Sinatra wanted to be Dean Martin, and uh, 
And Sammy Davis Jr. wanted to be Frank Sinatra. And, but they were all great friends, and they had a blast. And, and boy, I mean, what was cooler than that? I mean, look at those guys. I mean, so much, so many albums and so much music and so much fucking talent in, the, 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 in, the, in, in like one show. And in fact, there's a picture with Johnny Carson. When Johnny Carson hosted, it's, uh, it's Steve Martin, uh, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis, and Johnny Carson. Here. I mean, it's just like, but the sad thing is now, because I still watch them on YouTube, yeah. uh, is now. 90% of the dais is dead. Like, yeah, it's know, fucking it's like, sad. Dude, I mean, look, dude, you're never going to be able to see Bowie again live. You're never going to be able to see Prince again live. I mean, you know, I've seen Dylan, bro. I've got, I make sure I go to all these shows because I saw Sinatra with fucking Sam Kinison at the fucking Sands. Brad Garrett fucking opened for him. That's how fucking long ago that was. And, dude, you're never going to be able to see anybody as fucking cool as that again. I mean, it was, I mean, amazing, amazing. It's just to watch, you know, People forget, dude, that you take all that shit for granted in this new fucking age of social media. Go see the fucking artists, man. Go support these fucking artists because they ain't going to be around for a long fucking, you know, forever and ever, man. And, dude, a Bowie fucking killed me. I fucking love Bowie, man. I grew up on Bowie. I fucking, you know, I was a little fucking younger than but this kid down the street. They had all the fucking Jimi Hendrix fucking glow-in-the-dark posters, and they would have all these fucking albums, and we go down there and smoke pot and listen to all that fucking music, dude. Jesus. I mean, that's why I still go to concerts, you know, uh, because there's going to be a time when Kiss is not around anymore. I'm yeah. not putting Kiss on Frank Sinatra's level. But no, but like, Kiss is fucking great. I saw him in Philly. Uh, you know, I mean, you just... 1988 not, Crazy Nights you're, Tour. You're not going to fucking see a fucking band that's as cool as fucking with the blow in the fire and the, the tongue with the fucking blood. I mean, just it's it was one of the greatest fucking rock and roll shows anybody has ever seen fucking ever. I don't give a fuck who you are. And that's why they're still touring today because nobody does that. It's fucking amazing. Amazing. And dude, the fucking, you know, their fucking music alone. I mean, you know. No one lip syncs like they do in concert. Nobody lip syncs like they do, bro. Come but on. that's, you know, there will be a time. I, I go see Iron Maiden every time, even though I'm not like their biggest fan. They put on a fucking show of shows. Yeah, dude. And there's no one who does that anymore. So when Ozzy retires. Well, bro, and- you can go watch fucking Springsteen do fucking three hours of fucking rock anthems. Or you can go to the House of Blues and watch the Jim Blossoms do their one fucking hit. While the guy sings with his hand in his pockets. I mean, up to you, bro. What do you want to do? I mean, that Springsteen's another one where, like, it's sad to me to watch him. He's still great at his age. But, like, the E Street Band is, like, slowly dying off. And, dude, like, the fucking guy. Dude. Clarence is, like, his nephew is awesome. Yeah. Jake. Tom Petty. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, look, but, Tom Petty, bro. I mean, you're right. So, anyway, uh, that's just, you know. It, I it, mean, it, well, with Tom Petty, I wasn't surprised he died. I mean, you don't burn the midnight oil like he did for 30 years, 40 years. Uh, you know, I don't think he had a gym membership. Not to say you have to be uh, Frank Colombo in the 70s training with Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> but like you, you can't do the yayo straight for thirty years, and like maybe I with him. I was very sad because I love the OG Tom Petty band. Yeah, yeah, no, I do too. I, I like the, the old, the old school stuff with the great Stan Lynch on drums. Yeah, uh, man, Howie you know. on bass. Yeah, you know. Uh, but you, I, I wasn't necessarily shocked that he passed. You know, but the Keith Richards is still alive, so maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, you know, and like, looks great for Keith Richards. You know, fucking Ralphie May passed away, and Carrot Top doesn't have a cold. I mean, how, how do you? <laughs> I, well, with Ralphie, uh, I 
loved Ralphie. Uh, I, yeah, we all did. He, I, was a, he was a great kid, but uh, I, you know, you can't let your fucking heart get as big as a fucking canned ham. All right, I'm just saying, you know, and Ralphie would love that. Like Ralphie, no, I fuck, dude. I comes from love. I fucking love Ralphie, man. I've hung out with him, and Ralphie was a friend of mine. I have great fucking times with Ralphie. He was a fucking straight up solid guy. But you're right, I'm allowed to fucking joke about my friend. Well, Ralphie said to me, Earl, when I die, he knew he was dying. He said, uh, "Don't cry, make fun of me." And I think he probably told all his close friends that and like with ralphie i wasn't surprised he died hey, dude, look at that kid's life man he had a great fucking life that oh, guy sold, sold out. out fucking shows he 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 made a living doing something he loved to fucking do bro he didn't have fucking regrets he wasn't you know he didn't uh maybe i'll do it someday he fucking did it bro so oh. hats off to him i love ralphie may good kid god rest his soul but uh you know i was just uh you know like you said i'm a comedian i gotta do make some jokes oh i mean whenever i'm bombing in the or which is sometimes frequently i start <laughs> i start roasting ralphie and ralphie <laughs> Ralphie, like, is still helping me to this day because it always gets the crowd back. Uh, yeah. I mean, the last thing Ralphie said to me was uh, I had to delete all his private messages. Jesus. Uh, in case I get hacked. You're not taking me down, Ralphie. Uh, <laughs> he's like, girl, let's go fishing. And I'm like, dude, I'm not getting in a boat with you. Like, <laughs> I'll get in the side boat. <laughs> Bro, I mean, but that's how great he was. Like he didn't want to. Hey, do dude, here's the great thing about this gig and working with these guys. Uh, so you know, I consider a lot of comedians my family. I know guys, you know, I know freaking Haltzman, and you know, we mentioned him earlier. I mean, I love Brian Haltzman. Me and Brian Haltzman were roommates and hung out. You know, he's a great fucking dude. I, lo I love. You know, I have some of the greatest relationships with guys I've been working and stand up with for 20 years. I consider a lot of my peers and friends and stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it gets back to sometimes people would ask me about uh, I'm dying up here. And, you know, the number one complaint my friends would say to me, you know, off the record would be like, hey, you know, dude, we're glad you're in it. And we're glad for Santino and Griffin and, and Al Madrigal. But it, it's not that funny. And I'm like, dude, this isn't a, a sitcom. It's stand up is a depressing business. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, is there's like very few shows get the fucking stand up right. Like that, like you know, if you, I don't know if you have ever seen any episodes of the marvelous Miss Mazelle. I have not, and it's a, it's, it's a, that's a show that actually doesn't that gets the fucking stand. I mean, you're right; it's a depressing business, and I was happy for all those guys. Those guys are all brilliantly fucking talented. Our friends Al Magical and freaking Santino, uh, Santino and Griffin, and Griffin, and those guys—they're all great fucking stand-ups, but they're also really good fucking actors. I mean, you know, but you know, I kind of live that. You know, I would live that at the store. I mean, literally lived it. So, you know, I didn't need to see somebody else's interpretation of it because I knew it. Somebody goes, you watch, uh, I'm dying up here. I go, I lived it. Right, right. I mean, uh, but I mean, I, I, I've done comedy 20 years, like I've said. I, I've probably known 10 comics, my friends, comrades who committed suicide, died. Yeah. You know, pe so people don't, people don't get that, you know. It's funny, I was talking with a friend of mine. And he was working with this kid, and this kid was featuring for him. And the kid had a really bad set, and he was kind of like really upset. And he kind of freaking left the club upset because the crowd was a little rough on him. And he was just a kid, you know, just trying to trying to live his fucking dream. And uh, you know, and this comic told me, he goes, you know, I halfway thought about knocking on his door to cheer him up a little bit, and uh, he didn't realize it, but that kid was in there, and I guess he went out and got some oxy's and snorted them, and the kid died. He died that night. And this comic had to call the kid's dad and inform him that his son had passed away. But I mean, you know, 
it's an incredibly tough fucking business to break into. It's a tough business to stay into. And human beings are fragile fucking creatures. We all like to think that we're not, but we are. And so, you know, you're right. Guys that commit suicide. I mean, I heard stories. I knew a guy freaking hung himself in a hotel room on a fucking gig. And, you know, other guys that, you know, like they can't, get out of their own way. They fucking OD on drugs and stuff like that. And they just can't, you know, so I just, um, so yeah, it's, it's fucking sad, but it's, but you know, that's the world we live in, man. It's like fucking, you know, but even in a successful comics life, it's like, well, I remember, yeah. uh, I mean, could you, I mean, you know, Mitch Hedberg, Mitch Hedberg, Sam Kinison, another one, another man who was not, I mean, these, what the thing is, first off, they're fragile. Mitch was a fragile human being and, 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 and Kinison, they're not prepared for success when it happens. And so you have all this fucking stuff, the like the the, the, the drugs and and it's a fucking tough like from Chris Farley and these guys. It's fucking really dude, it's tough on the human psyche. It really is. And like you said, even if you're successful, it's fucking tough in some people. Because the pressure, like, you know, uh we take Ralphie May, like uh physically you know it's just not good to be that big but you know probably the pressure on him was every show is is this going to be sold out what if the next show is not sold out and you know and you're on the road and you're trying to take care of yourself even the guy wanted to lose weight you know how tough it is to fucking eat healthy and fucking exercise on the fucking road it's fucking ridiculously fucking tough and you're fucking eating pizza and fucking going through fucking in and out burger and just fucking stuffing that shit in your fucking pie hole and you, you know you're not doing a fucking sit-up or a jumping jack or a fucking you know a leg stretch or fucking you know what I, mean? I mean if ralphie did a jumping jack there would have been an earthquake <laughs> the fucking band would have skipped listen I mean, hey hello i loved ralphie i would have jumped into the coffin with him if there was room but uh hello yeah so you know so i you know i'm not and look and there's a lot of gigs that are tough i, I mean you know oh sure I soldier mean, being a soldier fucking, uh, dude, all, the, all, all that stuff and a lot of those guys fucking struggle too you know and, and and that and fucking you know dude i got this for you too i mean people go hey you know comedy's really tough I go, yeah try being a ufc fighter bro try getting you know oh i couldn't do that i mean dude i i, I mean i so i as, as tough as that i'm not but i'm saying you know this is a really it's a tough, and I don't think people realize how fucking tough it is and how tough it is on the human psyche, but there's a lot of things that are too. I'm not just saying, you know, but I, I you know, I, I go back to the theme is try being a human being and trying to understand because you don't realize what people are going through on their daily lives or whatever the deal is. And, and we live in this fucking world where people just dismiss people with a tweet or they, they sum up their fucking entire existence with a fucking, with something fucking stupid or something that happened to you. Someone did all this fucking great work and one stupid thing they did you know, defines their whole fucking life, you know? Oh Just, yeah, we, get, we need to move back and maybe a course correction for humanity and try getting in touch with each other and 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 look, like being human beings again. I think is the fucking real. Well, good luck in this business. <laughs> But before uh, I let Jimmy go, I just also want to throw out some of the uh, film and TV shows he's been on. So you could look out for them. Uh, Two Broke Girls, he was in. Yeah. Uh, a Coyote Ugly. Yeah. Uh, great show. The King of Queens. Uh, Reno 9-11. Uh, now, you were all in a show. It's popping into my head. I'm a big Billy Gardell fan. Uh, don't tell me. I want to, because uh, I, I want this to build. Uh, Billy Gardell was in a show. I believe it was called Heist. Were you in Heist, yeah. NBC? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. You were in the van. Yeah, I was a security guard. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was a prison guard. Right. And they kidnapped my wife. And the thing about uh, Heist, I always give Billy shit for, they... Uh, it was a six episode run it was like one of those it was almost like a prison break type of yeah. uh 
you know, like it was. The Cullen brothers wrote that. Mark and Rob Cullen wrote that. And, you know, they're uh, great writers. They also did another show called Lucky with uh, Billy Gardell. Right. And now with Craig Robinson as well. And I had a great, uh, I did the pilot of that and that got nominated for, uh, nominated for an Emmy. But I literally, literally, they let me fucking improvise my whole scene with that kid, John. Uh, what was his name? The kid that was leading that, John. Right. Good looking dude. Yeah. Uh, he was in, he was in Northwest, North. Northwest. Yeah, I mean it's show. uh Col Col Colburn. Yeah, he's a great actor, like a very good looking guy. Yeah, he uh, was in my big fat Greek wedding, but he we, I improvised that whole fucking scene with him and I kept fucking cracking him up every time. And he goes, Just do me a favor, please stick with what you're gonna say, because he would just start start fucking laughing. You know. So watch out for uh and also, you know, uh, Comedy Central uh presents Last Comic Standing. Yeah, Last uh, Comic Standing. Also, uh, I just did a movie called Puppy Love with uh, Michael Madsen and uh Roseanne Arquette and Hopper Penn, who's Sean Penn's son, who is the lead in it, directed by the great and powerful uh Michael Maxis, who was a great director, man. It was great working with that dude. And um, you know, there's a I think there's something on uh, on Cinemax on demand called American Nightmares that I'm in with Danny Trejo. Fox, Jay Moore's in it, but that's kind of a cool movie. I mean, uh, you had me and Michael Madsen. In the yeah, last you have me and Michael Madsen, okay? So, uh, <laughs> Jimmy's got a ton of uh, interviews to do today, and he's doing them because Zero Tolerance is out. Is it at midnight tonight? At midnight tonight, yeah. Uh, it'll be 9 p.m. East uh, Pacific. It drops uh, East Coast time at midnight, so it's 9, 9 p.m. Vimeo on demand, and I, we, we've been joking around a lot this last hour, but please... It's nine dollars to own nine ninety nine to own it, and you and if you can't afford the nine for three ninety nine, you could stream it. But everyone can afford nine dollars and ninety nine cents. Yeah. I it, just went to the movies the other day to see uh, Creed two. It's like eighteen dollars a ticket. Yeah, and believe me, I'd rather watch Jimmy's special than Creed two. When are they going to make a movie about Paulie's kid? How fucked up did that kid end up? Yeah. Now I'm doing bits. Uh, that's probably the time to end. Uh, JimmySchubert.com on Twitter and Instagram. It's just at JimmySchubert. Yeah, yeah, JimmySchubert.com and, and at JimmySchubert on Instagram, at JimmySchubert. And there's a Jimmy Schubert comedian page on Facebook. You can follow me there because that, I've hit my friend limit on regular Facebook. So uh, I, I appreciate any support and help. I'm self-releasing it. I self-produced it. It's all me. Uh, but I think you're really going to enjoy the special. Earl, thank you so much for having me on, brother. I can't thank you enough. I, I love you, man. Thanks for having me. Dude, I really love you to death. Uh, you know, you, you meet a lot of people in the world of stand-up, and I'm talking to the people who are listening right now. There's not a lot of good people in this business. There's a few, but there's not a lot. And so I try and get people to support the good ones. I'm begging you, at the minimum, rent it. But $9.99 is a steal for someone of Jimmy's comic ability. I don't get anything by saying that. I just want Jimmy to just put a couple bucks in his pocket so he can get back on the yayo. Come on, man. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. JimmySchubert.com. Learn it. Live it. Love it. Buy the special and leave a review on iTunes for inappropriate Earl. I'll appreciate it. Or I'm going to stop doing this podcast. And I'm going to go rogue and I'm going to start uh, Ryan Stout. I'm going to start outing uh, straight comics. <laughs> <laughs>